0: that Jesus Jesus would be most closely aligned with this party, or this platform, or this candidate, or that candidate. And you've probably heard Christians say, oh, Jesus is definitely a Republican, would definitely be a Republican. And then I bet you've heard Christians say, Jesus would definitely be a Democrat. And I bet you've heard Christians say, Jesus was, was def- definitely would be politically conservative. And then I bet you've heard Christians say, Jesus would definitely be politically liberal. So, I guess my question is, <laughs> is if you and I, right, if you and I as followers of Jesus, as, as Christians who hold, who, hold as the, who hold the same authority for Christian faith and belief and life as the person sitting next to us. If we all hold that same authority to be um, the scripture revealed to us in our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we all believe the same thing, how can we come up with so many radically different conclusions? How can be how can there be Christians on this side and Christians on this side saying Jesus is this, Jesus is that, Jesus is this, Jesus is that? Well, where do you get that? Well, I get it from the Bible. Of course, well, where do you get that? Well, is there any other place than to get it from the Bible? You obviously must not be reading the Bible if you believe that. Well, you obviously must not be reading the Bible if you believe that. Like, I—I I mean, I—I'm I, not. I don't want to get into the habit of creating what I think would be Jesus' actual commentary on that argument. Um, but I, if I was a betting man, and I'm not, I would be willing to say that, um, that those types of arguments kind of disgust Him. Yeah. Because uh, they certainly go, they, they certainly disgust the Holy Spirit in me. Like I feel this like, Welling up of like, not just in my flesh, but like this Holy Spirit, like bleh, over that whole like Jesus is this and Jesus is that, and I believe in the Bible and you don't believe in the, like, and it just is wearisome to the heart of God. Uh, this social commentary commentator named Rufus Miles said this, not in not in regards to. Um, faith in politics, but just in general, but I think it applies here. Um, Rufus Miles said, Where you stand depends on where you sat. Where you stand depends upon where you sat. Now, what does that mean? What, what does Mr. Miles mean when he says, Where you stand depends upon where you sat? Well, I maybe think about it like this. Um, think about a very tall building, okay, or even this room. All right, this room has windows on three sides of it. Okay, so if I was to tell Rachel to go out and look in this wind, look out the window over here, and John to go look out the window over here, and describe what the outside of conduit looks like. their descriptions of what the outside looks like would be determined on where in the building they were looking out, right? And if I told Ellen to look out the big windows, her description would be different as well. And imagine, imagine a building infinitely larger than this room with infinite more floors and windows and whatever window you're sitting in front of and whatever window you're looking out of is going to inform your perspective about what you believe is absolutely true about the world that you see outside. You see what Mr. Miles hit on in this particular issue, is that our cultural context, where we sat, like where you grew up, how you grew up, where where and how you were educated, um, what your family was like, were your family believers? Were they? really conservative people were they really moderate people were they really liberal people were they really not any type of people were they wealthy did you tend to grow up in a family that was more um uh more economically challenged or poor like what is your context because our cultural context where we sat in life often determines your perspective on life or where you stand I have that up on the screen for you. Our cultural context, where you sat, determines your perspective or where, where you stand, what you believe, how you have, how you have come to believe those things, how you have how you have experienced and seen the world around you. How 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 you how you can look at something and perceive its true meaning, its true value, its true purpose, where someone else can look out a window right next to yours, but just with a little bit of a different angle, and to come to some completely different conclusions about what is true. This is why, okay, listen, this is important. This is why most of us see zero conflict between our faith and any political beliefs that we have. Zero. That people from vastly different backgrounds with vastly different perspectives and vastly different beliefs with the same faith can say, I have zero conflict between what I believe politically and what I believe about Jesus. And what I believe about my faith. And what I believe about God. In fact, I have met no one, I'm sure they're out there, but I've met almost no one who says, yeah, I've got a lot of conflicting political slash religious or faith-oriented beliefs. Almost no one does that. Almost everyone says, yeah, my, my faith and my politics are com- completely aligned with each other. I, I, I believe perfectly in alignment with the heart of Jesus in me and my political beliefs. That, that in and of itself, that, that in and of itself should cause us to ask some questions, right? That if I have zero conflicts about my faith and my politics, but my brother sitting next to me Has zero conflicts about his faith and his politics, but they're different. Then that should maybe, at the very least, make us pause and ask some questions. You see, the reality is is that our beliefs, political or faith based, or our beliefs about Jesus, or our beliefs about the scripture, were not created in a vacuum. They were not created in a vacuum. And maturity recognizes that. Maturity recognizes that my beliefs on anything in life were not created in a vacuum. No, mine weren't created in a vacuum. Perfectly free of any bias, my beliefs. All of our beliefs were created in a vacuum, even what I believe about Jesus. So if we can recognize that um, all of our beliefs were created in a vacuum, and that good, faithful, believing people believe different things about Jesus and also different things about politics, then the question then becomes, which is the most appropriate question for these next Few weeks, but also your whole life is this. Can we, when I say we, I mean Christians, can we disagree politically and love unconditionally? Maybe even more significant this morning is this question. Do you want to love unconditionally if you disagree politically? Do you want to? Because I will tell you, ask any person that's been married more than five minutes And they will tell you that love is a choice. So, can you disagree politically and love unconditionally? And maybe the more appropriate question is, do you want to love unconditionally if you don't agree politically? are you are you willing it, this is a will that you have to be willing to do this okay are you are you willing to evaluate your political positions through the lens of jesus centered life rather than trying to make jesus a footnote on your political ideologies I believe this politically, therefore I will go and search out some way in which Jesus agrees with it. Trying to get Jesus just to baptize whatever it is that we believe politically. Are you willing instead to evaluate? the things that you believe politically through the lens of a Jesus-centered life rather than just trying to get Jesus to be your buddy in your political agenda. Because listen, Jesus did not come. Jesus did not come to take part in your Political platform or viewpoint. Jesus came to take over. He did not come to take part. He did not come to just be one person in the crowd of all the good Bible believing Republicans or all the good Bible believing Democrats or all the good Bible believing libertarians or conservatives or liberals. Jesus didn't come to take part. Jesus came to take over. He isn't a leader. He is a king. Jesus came declaring that His kingdom had arrived. And that it would be breaking through the course of human history from that moment on until eternity. And Jesus refused any alignment outside of what brought God glory and the most people to salvation. In fact, because Jesus would not align Himself with Caesar, and because Jesus would not align Himself with the Jewish high priests. Because Jesus declared that His kingdom was different and that He was the King of His kingdom, because He refused alignment in all of those areas, He was killed. You see, when it comes to Christianity and politics, there is something that far Supersedes platforms, positions, and perspectives. There is something that supersedes it all. The thing that supersedes it all is unity. Everything that politics does to divide is antithetical to the prayer of Jesus for His disciples that they would be united. Every single thing. Jesus felt it so critical That Christians be united with each other. That it became one of the things that he prayed to the Father for before his crucifixion. We look in John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is often called the priestly prayer. Before Jesus is arrested, he prays. And um, the writer John um, captures this for us. And many of our modern Bibles have it broken up into three sections where Jesus prays for himself, Jesus prays for his disciples, and Jesus prays for all believers. We're going to be in a couple different sections, so to speak, but Jesus at least felt it so Critical that his followers be united with one another; that they that he pray to the Father for our unity. And um, I'm not going to read the whole prayer, but we'll read a section here in John chapter 17, verse 11. Remember that Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to You. Holy Father, protect them by the power of Your name, the name that You gave Me, so that they may be one As we are one. Jesus prays similar as he goes on and continues in his prayer, but we jump down to verse 20 and 21. He says, My prayer is not for them alone, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as You are in me and I am in You, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that You have sent me. A fantastic mystery about the Christian faith is the proclamation in Scripture of the Holy Trinity of God. Right? The coexistence and and co-eternality of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Both equally serving in the nature of God, but being equally different. The Father being different than the Son Who is different than the Spirit, both having differences in what we call like economy or roles within the Godhead. But but nevertheless, not one being different than another, or not one being better than another. That there was unity between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But there was also tremendous diversity. Meaning you would never see Jesus saying, well, the Father wanted me to do this, but I'm going to do this instead because I think it, I think it a bit better. Or, or, or the Holy Spirit telling you to do something that Jesus clearly spoke against in Scripture. Now That wasn't the Holy Spirit, bro. That was like bad Chinese food. Or something. Okay? Because, because across, across the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, there is complete congruence in nature, although they are incredibly diverse in action. And so when Jesus prays, Father, may your followers, may our disciples, may they be as one as we are one. May they be unified in nature, may they be unified in purpose, may they be unified by the common bond of the indwelling Holy Spirit but may they display the incredible diversity of their perspectives. But may they be as one, as you and I are one. Why? Well, Jesus tells us why. Jesus, Jesus tells us why unity is so important. And Jesus says that unity in Jesus, unity in the Spirit of God, is a message that the world needs to hear from the church. That that unity is is a message, is a characteristic, that those who will come to believe in God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit will need to see on display. It will be a message that draws them to the heart of God. If we go back to our scripture, uh, the prayer in, in starting in verse 20, going all the way through verse 23, my prayer is not for them alone. Listen, I pray also, for those who will believe in Me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as You are in Me and I am in You, may they also be in Us so that the world may believe that You have sent Me. I have given them the glory that You gave Me that they may be as one as you and I are one, I in them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity. Listen, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I don't need to hear that again. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Why is unity important? To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. If that's maybe a little bit too cryptic of language for you, Jesus has already said something much more clear in John chapter 13. Just four chapters back in the same Gospel. In John chapter 13 verse 35 34 and 35 a new command I give you love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another that in that in the bond of unity Welded together by the love of God, spread abroad in our hearts through faith in Jesus Christ, we have a message to declare to the world that God is love. And as Jesus said, that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Listen, Christian, Christian unity. All right. Christian unity is culturally disruptive and weird because it sends the message that Jesus and all things in Him supersedes and rises above everything that the world uses to polarize and separate us. including politics. This is one of the, the hallmarks of the Apostle Paul's whole ministry. Right? Is that, is that, hey, hey world, um, you're, you're using your, your Jewishness or you're using your Gentileness as a, as a tool to keep you separated and divided. But, but in the Gospel of Jesus Christ, you are not different. You are, you are one. One. You are all the same in Christ Jesus. Everything that you thought divided you and separated you and broke you apart actually does not mean squat, because in the most important area, in your Christness, you are one. Paul says this in the letter to the Galatians among other places and also the whole second half of the book of Romans. But he says it explicitly in the book of Galatians chapter 3 verse 28. When he says this, he says, he says there is neither there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is either, there is neither slave nor free there is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus now is he is Paul saying here that that when that when you become part of Christ Jesus that you you forego your maleness or your femaleness that you forego your Jewishness or your Gentileness. No, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying that, that even though those distinctives may remain about you, right, that there is something that far supersedes the thing that the world uses to categorize you all differently. And the thing that unites you all is your common faith and now lineage in Jesus Christ. And so, politics, both then and now, exist, right? In a manner of speaking, as a tool that separates us when the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to be united. That we now are serving before the altar of political polarization that divides us from the very prayer of Jesus, that calls us to be one with each other, so that, they, so that the world may see the love of God for them. Your preferred political candidate may win on November 3rd, your preferred political candidate may lose on November 3rd, but guess what? They will only lose or win for one day. The church will win or lose every day from now until Jesus comes back if we allow politics to polarize and separate instead of the gospel to unite. This is not about who wins or loses on November 3rd. This is about whether or not the message of the church will win or lose every day from now until when Jesus comes back. And you're accountable. I want to go back to this question. Are you willing to evaluate your political positions through the lens of Jesus-centered life Rather than trying to make Jesus a footnote on your political ideologies, because um, what what Paul Paul answers that question for us in the scripture that we just read in Galatians chapter three. He says, "Where well, there is neither." Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Jesus Christ, right? So there is, there's only two directions to look at life, right? And we've created a little diagram to help like display what, what direction you can look at life from, right? Um, and we, our teachers out there will appreciate like a little Venn diagram. Who loves Venn diagrams? I love Venn diagrams. Um, when we, we have it, we're just creating a little bit of um, anticipation here for you. There we go. All right, there's, there's two ways, right? There's two ways that we, can, that we can live, right? We can live from the center going out, right? We can live there in the center. Or we can live somewhere on the outskirts, right? We can live primarily in the liberal camp or we can live primarily in the conservative camp or we can... We can live primarily in the Democratic camp or the Republican camp and then we can, then we can travel into to Jesus land on Sundays, right? Or we can live primarily in the center, right? And then just allow our perspective or the window that we're looking out of in life help to inform our conscience about who it is that we vote for and what political positions that we have but we ain't living in the outskirts. We're living in the center. We, we, we live in the center. We may, we may have a perspective that looks in a specific direction, but we live in the center. Say, I live in the center. You live in the center. Well, if so and so doesn't get doesn't get elected, if they're not president, then man, I'm really scared for our country. Really? Really? Uh, like, I mean, come on, come on. I'm scared for our country, regardless, right? It doesn't, does not matter who's there. Well, it, it matters because then this will happen. Well, th- then trade it for something else that will happen, right? And then trade it for something else that will happen. And then trade it for something else that will happen. We get so busy worshiping at the, at the altar of whoever we want to win that we forget that there's an actual altar that we can actually worship at that has an actual king right who cares who cares very little about what is going on in an actual election without question or without fault Back to our main question for the day. Can we disagree politically and still love unconditionally? Do you want to love unconditionally if you don't agree politically? the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the prayer of the Son to the Father, the message that the church has for an unbelieving world is based fully and solely on our decision, on our choice to love one another. Next week, what we're going to talk about is the importance of winning and losing. Now, we did talk a little bit about it during the Sermon on the Mount, talking about the Jesus ethic of life, and you know, like eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, and um, and and as Christians, having a, a Jesus-centered ethic of life means that. That we we regularly forego what we are what what is legally ours or what we have the, the right to in order to um, to communicate or send a significantly more important message about the love of God and um, and what we're going to talk about next week is um, as Christians who are united. In the gospel of Jesus, for the sake of the world, um, how how um, how hard will we fight to win in the political realm? Like, what are the stakes? What are the stakes of being in it to win it politically for Christians? whatever it takes to get so-and-so elected. Whatever it takes to get so-and-so elected. What's at risk there? What's at risk? There's a lot at risk, because um, whenever you're in it to win it above anything else, it means that you're in it for someone else to lose, no matter, no matter what. Um, you're, you're, in order to have a war... <laughs> There has to be a what, an enemy. There has to be an enemy, right? So, what does it mean to be in it to win it? To be to be fully dedicated to to, to winning in this um, in this political season. Okay, um, join me in prayer as we um, welcome the worship team back up. Heavenly Father, we are. Uh, grateful, Lord, for your word to us this morning. And we pray, Father, that as we. Lord, this is kind of a big question, you know. We could use some help with it, Father. Because it is not always easy. In fact, very rarely. Is it easy to determine or distinguish how we are going to continue to live in love and unity if we disagree so significantly on issues that are right in front of our face? Lord, I am reminded of Your of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount where He cautions us, Lord, against storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but instead storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven where thieves do not break in and steal, where moth and rust cannot destroy, Lord, may we store up everything that we are passionate about. May, may, we, may we be passionate about the things that last into eternity. May we be passionate about storing up treasures that will turn eternal significance for someone else's soul. Less passionate, Lord, for things that will be here on the third and gone on the fourth. More passionate, Lord, for things of eternal significance that hold eternal weight for people that You love. In Jesus' name, amen.